Before we get to our text today, kids, I've got a question for you. What is it like to get an invitation to a birthday party? Do you get excited? What about if it's a party at a really cool location? You know, for me growing up, anytime I got an invitation to a pool party, that was pretty exciting. So I didn't have a pool and we lived in Kansas and we didn't see, you know, much water for <laughs> miles and miles, except the little lake that we had in town. How about like a place like Bounce U or a ropes course with a zip line or Urban Air? How about some of those places? You get pretty excited when you get an invitation to one of those places? Yeah. Do your parents put that date on a calendar so that you know when it's happening to make sure that you're not going to miss it? And do sometimes you maybe kind of ask too often your parents, like, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet for, that, for the party to happen? Yeah, right? I mean, we get excited when we're invited and excited, especially excited when it's someplace super special that the party's happening. Now, adults, I don't know if we get quite as excited as kids, but we get excited when we get invited to parties as well, right? I mean, though some parties kind of tend to stress us out, maybe, you know, a wedding, you know, uh, Jim Gaffigan, the, the uh, comedian jokes that you know how much a wedding gift is going to cost by how fancy the paper uh, is the invitation is printed on, right? So you're like, oh, geez, this one's going to cost me a lot, you know, <laughs> the fancier it is. But even still, weddings are a lot of fun, right? They are joy-filled events that can be a lot of fun to attend. We have friends that hold a uh, decades party every year. And we look forward to that every year to like get dressed up in different clothes from different decades and to go and have music being played on the hour for different decades, starting with the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It's just a fun evening, dancing, listening to music, getting dressed up in different um, party get up. It's just a fun night, and we look forward to it. We make sure that we get it on our calendar as soon as we know when it's happening. Now, this morning, Jesus uses a wedding and a great banquet to teach us about the kingdom of God and the invitation that he has given, and who will receive it with thankfulness. And we'll see that the hospitality of Jesus is for anyone who knows their need. His hospitality is for the humbled. Let's read Luke 14, verses 1 through 24. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. 
And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame and take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do, you, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A, man's one gave a, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is, read, is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have, bought a I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come, to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word made flesh in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, may our lives not only be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but conformed to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we pick back up in our series on the gospel of Luke after we've been off uh, for Easter. And two weeks ago on Palm Sunday, we were in Luke 13, 22 through 35, and there was a question from the crowd for Jesus, and the question was, will the saved be few? Now, it's a logical question because Jesus' teaching has seemed up until this point to place limits on those who would receive his salvation. And the common understanding of that day was that all of Israel would be saved except for those really, really, really bad people. Not exactly sure who those really bad people were, but you know who they are. Those would not be saved. But as Jesus often does, he flips the question on the crowd and asks, not how many will be saved, but will the saved be you? And we said that this is the question of Palm Sunday as the crowd shouted, Hosanna, which means save us now. It's maybe the most important question we'll ever answer. Will the saved be you? We saw that Jesus comes in the name of the Lord with warning and lament. His warnings included the warning about a narrow door, about the locked door, and the warning about the revolving door, those who would assume to come in but then be 
cast out. But even as he warns, he laments that some will not hear his warnings and will be left out of the kingdom. And this morning, we pick back up on another Sabbath day. Just a few weeks ago, Jesus has healed a woman on the Sabbath from a disabling spirit. And we saw that because Jesus is the King of the kingdom and Lord of the Sabbath, that we are given release and abundance. And so the context of today's passage is in the context of these previous healings on the Sabbath and his warnings and lament that he gave just last, just two weeks, that we saw just two weeks ago about who will enter his kingdom. And in light of that, we have our Sabbath healing and teaching today. And this morning, Jesus uses this opportunity of another Sabbath healing at the home of a Pharisee to give another explanation of the kingdom of God and who will, be re- and who will receive the invitation. And so we're confronted with this question this morning, or actually maybe two questions. First, have you accepted the invitation of Jesus? And if you have, have you compelled others to come? Have you accepted the invitation of Jesus to the great banquet? And if you have, have you compelled others to come? And we see that the hospitality of Jesus is for the humbled, anyone who knows their need and will come. That's the definition of those who are welcomed into Jesus' kingdom. The hospitality of Jesus is for the humbled, anyone who knows their need and will come. And what we see in our text this morning is those who don't see their need, those who don't understand the invitation that Jesus offers. That's how Jesus shows us who is or who will come into his kingdom. And we see, this is a great alliteration. I don't usually alliterate, but we see the pious, the proud, and the preoccupied in our text this morning. The pious, the proud, and the preoccupied. And this is what Jesus gives us a picture of to help us understand who will, who is, who will understand and receive the invitation that Jesus offers. First, we have this picture of the pious, those who, like the Pharisees, do not see and understand the invitation and welcome of Jesus. You see, there's nothing wrong with piety. (laughs) I would hope that we all live with a certain aspect of piety in life. Piety is a good thing. Piety talks about the, the things that we do as those who follow God in terms of our growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, praying, reading scripture, attending corporate worship, fellowship, all those things that we would categorize as aspects of our piety. They help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. But have you ever met someone who is more Christian than Jesus? Have you ever met someone who their piety is what they lead with? 
Kind of like the Pharisee who would, who would pray on the street corner. They lead with all the things that they do for God. That's how they're known. And I call those people that they're more Christian than Jesus. Someone who turns everything into a piety competition. Someone who looks at others, quote, lack of piety as an indication that they aren't a real Christian. These are those like the Pharisees that Jesus warns us against. See, those who are so religious that their religious religiosity goes beyond Jesus. And I'm not even talking about just Christians, right? We, you, you probably know people who aren't Christians, who have a certain level of piety that they live by, right? That they have a certain level of piety that if other people don't live up to those standards of their non-religious piety, it's very religious though, then you are not as good or as right as they are. It happens both inside and outside of the church. And Jesus warns us of this. Jesus warns us that it is not the pious, but it is the humbled who receive the hospitality of Jesus. Right? We see this in his interaction with the, with the Pharisee in verses 1 through 6 that he brings to them this, or this man shows up. We're not exactly sure what, where he's come from or why he's there, presumably seeking to be healed by Jesus, and Jesus uses it as, a, as an opportunity to show the Pharisees once again their heart. that their piety overlooks the care and the needs and the grace and the mercy towards other people. Or Jesus says, you'd get your ox or your child out of a well on the Sabbath. Wouldn't you care for those in need as well? Wouldn't you see that God desires mercy and not sacrifice? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? Jesus is basically saying, your piety stinks. What's supposed to be a fragrant offering stinks like you know what. Jesus warns us of a misplaced piety. Then he also warns the proud. Verses 7 through 14, we see that he sees and looks to see everybody sitting around this table, and he looks and notices how they chose their places to sit. And so he, once again, gives a parable of a, of a wedding of an of even greater feast than the one that they're sitting at. And he says that you should not sit down at the place of honor, that those who seek honor will be humbled and those 
who are humbled will be honored. You see, pride and arrogance are an abomination before God. Right? The Old Testament prophets over and over and over again decry Israel's pride and arrogance. And Jesus over and over and over again points out the pride and arrogance of those who believe they have it all figured out. They just do these things correctly and rightly. They will be saved. They will know the salvation of God. And they look down on those who do not understand like they do. You see, this is another instance of the great reversal that Luke continues to show us, right? And that the, that the rejection of the proud, those who exalt themselves in favor of those who humble themselves, right? Jesus over and over again shows us that to know God is to understand both his infinite greatness and our own weakness and sinfulness, right? When we truly know God, we are humbled because there is no way that I can attain or earn or be who God is as much as we want to try and deceive ourselves that we can. When we understand this rightly, who God is, pride is not a possibility. And Jesus, in teaching about the, that pride and arrogance are abomination, that if we seek our own honor, that we will be humbled. Along with, with this, he, he teaches in conjunction with the following verses about, about humility, right? About the fact that when we throw a banquet, we should not invite those who can repay us. Not that there's anything wrong with inviting friends, and that, but if that's all that we're inviting, if that's all that those people that can also repay us, then we have misunderstood the hospitality of the kingdom of God. Right? He's showing us that uh, not just uh, uh, humility, but that we are to be concerned in our humility, in our understanding of who we are in light of who God is, our concern for the disadvantaged. To love one's neighbor as ourself. And in Luke's gospel, it's expressed as love for those who are in need. We see throughout the gospel of Luke, pointing to Jesus, his acceptance of tax collectors and sinners, his teaching on loving one's enemies and caring for those in need. This ethical call of Jesus, this living a life in which we care for others who are in need, stands in sharp contrast to the arrogance of the Pharisees, who, as Jesus points out previously, neglect justice and mercy, and how he's pointed out just even in the, our text, by them questioning 
in their minds him healing this man on the Sabbath, their neglection of justice and mercy in the name of God's healing power. So Jesus warns the proud and reminds us that those of us who have known the humility that comes from knowing God are called to the concern that He had and has for those in need. But it's not just the pious and the proud, it's also the preoccupied. In verses 15 through 24, Jesus gives us another parable about the great banquet. This is most certainly in relation to the great banquet, the great wedding feast of the Lamb, the the great banquet in the kingdom of God at the end of, of time where we see this understanding of everyone feasting at God's table in light of the salvation that He offers. This speaks of the messianic banquet for sure and refers to the participating in the resurrection of the righteous. This is another way of describing salvation for the inherit, in the inheritance of eternal life. And as this question or as this uh, proclamation is made about blessed, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, it might sound devout, but it assumes that the kingdom of God is a distant abstraction rather than, as Jesus has been teaching, a present reality brought about by His coming. You see, this, this person at the, at the table is, is saying, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, that one day far off event And Jesus is is saying, look, you still haven't heard and understood the kingdom of God is now present in my being here, present in this reality. And we see that this, in this parable, in this teaching of this great banquet, people have been invited The invitations have gone out. Remember, kids, like the invitation you got to the birthday party and your parents put it on the calendar and you keep asking over and over again, hey, is it time? Is it time? Is it time? Instead, Jesus says, there are those who are preoccupied, who have received this invitation. Those who give excuse when the the servant goes back out to remind them to say, the time has come, come, come to the banquet. And they have these excuses. I've bought a field. I gotta, I've got to go look at it and make sure it's good. And, you know, and then, you know, then maybe you know, once I've you know, closed all my business, then maybe I'll come. Or I've bought these, this, these five yoke of oxen. You know, I, I need to go and inspect them, make sure that you know, I didn't get, you know, the guy selling them to me didn't you know, give me you know, a, you know, one has a broken leg or anything like that. You know. Or, hey, I, I've just gotten married, and I, I, I need to go be with my wife, so I can't come. Not sure why he didn't want to invite his wife with him. I don't understand that one, that part of that. But they're preoccupied, right? They have something else going on in their lives. The the blessings of this world, while they are all good, 
Right? These are all good things that Jesus uses as an example of their preoccupation. These are all good things. They pale in comparison to the blessing of the kingdom of God. One commentator pointed out that there's some parallel here between uh, in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, some of the excuses that men were able to use to not go to war which were valid excuses that, you know, that they had certain things that they had a, they'd build a house and they hadn't dedica- dedicated it yet. So they needed to do that before they went to war or they were just married and they haven't had a, had a chance to live with their wife and to start a family. So they needed to stay home and not go to war. And those were valid excuses. But Jesus is saying here, look, these are all good things, but they're preoccupying you. You're preoccupied from what it is that I'm calling you to. They pale in comparison to the blessing of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says that those who make excuses, fine, if you don't want to come, we'll find those who will come. And so he tells his servant to go to the outcasts of society. Bring in all those who would be considered unworthy to dine at the table, right? Those who will be unworthy to dine at the table that I'm dining at right now with with the Pharisee. But there's a greater table that those who are outcasts are invited to and welcomed to. So go get them and bring them in. Bring them in, into God's present kingdom that will extend forever, right? Come, all those who are needy. And then the servant says in verse 22, sir, we did what you commanded and there is still room. And so Jesus says that the master says, go back, be persistent. All the outcasts of Israel have come in is essentially what Jesus is saying. Now go and find the other outcasts, the Gentiles, all those who would believe, call them to come in, right? He tells them to compel them, right? You know, some people might say, well, you know, what do you, how can you compel people But what Jesus is getting at here is this idea that in that culture, an unexpected invitation would first be refused, right? If you received an unexpected invitation, particularly from a foreigner, you would refuse it because it wasn't proper for you to come and to dine at their table. But Jesus is saying, no, whatever it takes, make them know, let them know that this invitation is for them that I want them to come and be at my table. Compel them to come in. The Lord's banquet must be full. Right? This is an interesting juxtaposition to what we talked about a couple weeks ago where the man in the crowd asked, will the saved be few? (laughs) And Jesus said, will the saved be you? And look at this. It's not that Jesus is like, yep, I'm going to try to make this banquet as, you know, as, 
as few people as possible. No, Jesus says, the master says, fill it up. Bring as many as you can. There's still room. This banquet must be full. It is for all those who believe. It is for all those who understand their humbled estate. All those who were once proud, who have been humbled. All those who were once so pious that they were more Christian than Jesus or more religious than anybody else. All those who were so preoccupied that have suddenly realized the beauty and the hope and the love of the banquet that is to come with Jesus welcoming us in. You see, humility is, the, is one of the essential marks of the messianic age, of the age that we live in, the age that Jesus has come and established his kingdom, and it will come in its fullness when he comes again. It becomes a paradigm of, of the humility that he himself has shown that he himself has shown in the table fellowship that he's had throughout Luke of eating with those who do not deserve to be welcomed in. Shown in his humble suffering death upon a cross. His humility illustrates once again that the table fellowship of Jesus is where he teaches about the kingdom and itself an expression of the new era of salvation. The kingdom does not belong to the proud, to the pietistic, to the preoccupied, but to the outcasts and sinners. Forever Jesus is sitting at table with those humble, repentant, believing sinners, there is the kingdom of God. Those who now sit at the table with Jesus will know the reward of the resurrection to sit at the table in the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great messianic feast. This table that Jesus welcomes us to is one that he says must be full. So if you not, have not come, come. And if you have come, be that servant that goes out and compels, compels those who have not yet heard of the invitation. Compel those who know that the invitation, that do not believe the invitation is for them to come to the table, the table of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have compelled us to come. To come to your table. Lord, may those of us who have come, may we be like your servant who has sent to compel more and more that the banquet might be full. We praise you. And thank you in Jesus' name, amen.